Cat, the Night Stalker, won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files, I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about, who are you going to call? Let's, uh, let's go back to 1984. Uh, Prince released Purple Rain. Purple Rain, it was Purple a, Rain. It was a big deal. Big um, deal for and me. in fact, Purple Rain was the first movie to dethrone Ghostbusters from the number one box office. Deservedly so. I After loved Purple Rain. literally like seven weeks or something. It was, yeah. it was on there for a while. That album, oof. Amazing. Yeah, no, no great. <laughs> Definitely a feature <laughs> episode. Uh, My, Michael Jackson's hair got caught on fire, if you remember that. <laughs> uh, during a Pepsi Ouch. commercial. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Uh, they theorized that that's actually the beginning of his death. That's horrifying. That is when he got uh, addicted to painkillers in 1984. It wasn't just his hair catching on fire. His no. scalp, his yeah, scalp was... It was fried. It was awful. I mean, it, yeah. there was a Jay. It was all like, ha, 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 his it, people fire. joked about it, but it was not yeah, funny. It was in not the slightest. Uh, and uh, Alex, especially per- to uh, Michael Jackson. <laughs> no, Alex Trebek premiered on Jeopardy, uh, and that's when they theorized that Alex Trebek started his painkiller addiction. <laughs> the day that <laughs> he was actually addicted to morphine. Yeah, yeah. no, you I, could yeah, tell no. on the show he's very. But uh, June eighth, nineteen eighty four. None of that's true. The movie, <laughs> the movie world changed. And Ghostbusters premiered. The movie would go on to gross almost $300 million. Good Lord. It was number one for seven consecutive weeks. There's only one movie that made more money Hmm. than Ghostbusters in 1984. Do you know what that movie is, Jim? Was it Beverly Hills Cop? It was. Beverly Hills Cop was the only movie to make more money. We'll get to that next week. That's Axel's theme. <laughs> 1984 was a great year for movie. A lot of that yeah, considered be iconic, like Gremlins, which actually came out the same day that Ghostbusters did. That's insane. Looking I, at this yeah. list, I don't even... Because I was an avid moviegoer at the time. Mm-hmm. I saw all these movies. in the When I was a kid, my mom... Uh, she was a real estate broker, and her office was right next to a sixplex. So she, I would go to work with her, especially during the summer, because yeah. uh, you know you I didn't school. have anything yep. to do. So I would go. She just dropped me off. I would theater bounce. I'd buy one ticket. Bing, bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Get my get my big old popcorn doing. and my peanut M and M's that I'd throw in that popcorn. Mm-mm-mm, that's my snack. And I would just bing, bang, boom. I would see like three to six movies a day. That's and, crazy. Uh, you know, on one ticket, you know, for like two bucks. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Karate Kid also came out that year. The Terminator, Nightmare on Elm Street, Romancing the Stone, The NeverEnding Story. Good God. This was the first year that there were four films that grossed over $100 million in one year. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a huge deal. It was a big, big year for the movies. Well, I mean, we're in the blockbuster era. Yeah. You know, we just had Jaws and Star Wars yeah. in the late 70s that yeah. that started this whole thing. And then that's when the, the, the studios were like, we got to go big. Yeah, we got to dump money. Yeah, dump we got to big, big movies. Uh, and that is why Dan Aykroyd uh, decided to make uh, what he called the Ghost Smashers. Ghost Smashers! <laughs> nope. He, he, Dan Aykroyd was obsessed with the paranormal. Uh, he had a father who wrote a book called The History of Ghosts. Mm. His mother claimed she'd seen ghosts. His grandfather experimented using radios to contact the dead because that's just what you do. What a fun <laughs> house to grow up in. And oh, my God, uh, seriously. Because his great-grandfather was a renowned uh, spiritualist. Oh, man, no wonder Dan Aykroyd is the coolest freak on the planet, man. I cannot imagine growing up in that. I mean, you have to do something with ghosts. Well, also, like, what an open mind he must have yeah. grown up with uh, with all of these different, you know, uh, 
ghosts and, and yeah. paranormal and all that stuff. It's just like, what an amazing family, you know? It's like, uh, and to this day, he's still so fascinated with different, you know, not conspiracy theories, but, you know, like UFOs no, he definitely, and yeah. paranormal stuff. He's an yeah. expert on it, not oh, just yeah. like a dabbler. Yeah. The guy knows his stuff. So uh, nineteen early 1980, Dan Aykroyd had read a, a scientific article about quantum physics, mm-hmm. and that is how he originated the idea of capturing the ghosts Ooh. and kind of what started the whole um, – Ghostbusters, well, at the time, Ghost Smashers. Ghost Smashers! Ghost Smashers! Can I share a little story from my youth? Yeah. Okay. When I was a child, my uh, stepdad built our house, and uh, he was a general contractor and started the subdivision, and uh, we had this uh, room upstairs that wasn't finished when we moved in. I used it as a little TV studio with my buddies, and we'd make little fun, you know, dumb VHS movies and stuff, but when it was finally finished, I moved up there. And uh, I started having these weird experiences. The first one, I was in the kitchen, and I'm putting away dishes. And uh, I take a few steps to leave the kitchen after putting the dishes away. I feel this really cold air, you know, like the the whole temperature dropped in the kitchen, like 20 degrees. I turn around, and all the cupboards are open. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Freaked me out. Yeah. I was like, I well, maybe be... I did it. I don't know. And, <laughs> did uh, I black out and not yeah, remember like, opening these yeah. cabinets? <laughs> so then the second thing is uh, uh, I would be walking upstairs, and I would walk into these patches of just freezing cold air. Yeah. And uh, the only other person, I don't think anybody in my family experienced this. Like, what I've read in my research is that usually spirits or entities or whatever are attracted to prepubescent girls. Oh. But there were no pre- if there are no prepubescent girls in the uh, house, then they'll go after the the prepubescent boys, which is you know which was me. And uh, <laughs> the only other person that ever um, experienced it was my buddy Larry. From uh, if you oh, if you're okay. if you're an avid listener, he was the uh, the uh, laser tag, laser tag guy. Yeah. guy that got really sad. Um, we had just seen Nightmare on Elm Street, strangely enough, and we were leaving my room to go get some cookies. And this was when I was downstairs before I'd moved upstairs. And we take three steps out of the room, and we hear this sound from up in that unfinished room that was like. <laughs> Stopped and dead in our tracks. Larry pushes me in front of him, and he's like, you first. And then we're just like, <laughs> screw the cookies. Went back to the thing. So it, it escalated to I could uh, – you know, I'd have sleep paralysis, and I would I would feel myself levitating over the bed, and it culminated in this crazy thing where I would wake up, and the room would be on fire. Like, I could see the chandelier on fire and these beams. It wasn't the same room, but it was completely on fire. I could smell the smoke. I could feel the heat. I'd close my eyes and open them. It'd still be there, and I'd shake my head and close it, and then it would be gone, and there would still be, like, you know, a slight bit of smoke in the air. So this totally freaked me out, right? So I went to my sister, and this was back before internet or anything, and I was like, you know, I told her what was going on my lovely sister, Tracy. And so she and I decided to go down to the records office, right, to see what happened on this uh, property. So what we found out, and by talking to Ray, is that when he was grading the property, they found all these, like, charred tools and toys from the turn of the century. And what we had found out is there was an Italian family who lived on that property who burned to death in a fire of their farm 
Wow. And now I still don't really believe in ghosts and all that stuff, but here's what I think it was. I think that like some people can tune – like if somebody dies in a very you know, uh, violent manner, maybe there's like some sort of psychic imprint or something or some sort of like – It's all about energy. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. an energy uh, stain, yeah. right? Yeah. And maybe I could tune into that psychic energy sure. you know, and see that. Who knows? Or maybe uh, I was getting slipped drugs as a kid or I was just insane. But I, I could never really explain it, and that's why – I don't really believe in ghosts and stuff, but I will yeah. never say never because I've had a, such a weird experience. But anyway, that was my speed bump for the show. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, it's energy, which it, it folds in with with you know Ghostbusters and how it, it yeah. is using science and and stuff to to deal with something that's supernatural. But I firmly believe it's energy. I, I personally have never had any real experiences with with quote unquote ghosts, but. Uh, Definitely at uh, Zombie Joe's, like, there's oh, yeah. definitely mm-hmm. some stuff there. Yeah. Uh, I did see a face up in the loft window once. Yeah, uh, you're not the only one. Yeah. This is a theater. We had Zombie Joe. Uh, he's a, theater, a, a small theater owner in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, and we had him on our Star Wars show. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, the, he, it's, doing high drama for 20-plus years in one place. It has a tendency to lend some interesting energy <laughs> to, to the building. <laughs> Uh, so Dan Aykroyd was uh, originally developing the script, what he called Ghost Smashers, to star uh, Eddie Murphy and John Belushi Ooh. because they were all on SNL together. Yeah. And, and he huge. worked with them well. And mm-hmm. yeah, they were big. Uh, Eddie Murphy was not a star yet. No. Uh, he was not a star until Beverly Hills Cop. No, but. Uh, uh, but they were all. But Dan Aykroyd definitely saw the star. Potential. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. We recognize I that. I mean, that's why Eddie Murphy was on SNL when he was 17. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, he was – Dan Aykroyd was actually writing a, lo- a line. He, he was writing like a 70-page treatment for Ghost Smashers, and he was actually writing a line – wow, writing a line for John Belushi when he got a phone call from his agent saying that John Belushi was found dead. Jesus. Very, very disappointing. As we learned, uh, Robert That's Zero when he's like, was delete, 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 delete. Yeah, delete <laughs> he's that like, line. okay, that's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is sad uh, because Super John Belushi would have been amazing in that movie. One hundred percent, he would have been so good. And they were such good friends and so good together. That yeah. team, you know, yeah. one of the classic comedy teams. Yeah. So he uh, he called Bill Murray. Because Bill Murray was also doing SNL stuff, and uh, at, at that, well, at that point he wasn't anymore. Well, you know, John Belushi was actually kind of in the movie. Was he? Yeah, because uh, Slimer, who isn't called Slimer, <laughs> he was called Onion Head on the set, but right. he was also called John Belushi's Ghost yeah. by Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. So I think the e- you know, if you really look at Slimer, he does have like the, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's kind of a Bluto character. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a bit of John Belushi in there. Uh, so he called Bill Murray, and Bill Murray did his usual, like, yeah, sure. And then uh, that was it. For those of you who don't know, he doesn't. Uh, Bill Murray doesn't have an agent no, or a he manager. An, he has he, an 800 he number. He has a 1-800 number that you can call and be like, hey, I w- want to be in my thing. And he may or may not. He may just show up the day that you yeah. start shooting and be like, I- I'm going to be in your thing. Ivan Reitman has gone on record saying the day Bill Murray showed up to shoot, he wasn't even sure if he'd read the script or not. Because he would not say if he did. He was just like, yeah, it's fine. We'll do it. We're Such fine. a weirdo. Such a weirdo. But like the only guy that can really get away with that stuff, yeah. though. Yeah. And oh, still no, be charming. And, you know. Uh, like, I just got to say, like, all this stuff that he does where he just shows up places, like, yeah. you know, at a frat party or something. He, what a, I want Bill Murray's life. 
Yeah, a lot of people do. Uh, just be able to do whatever the hell they want and do whatever they want. Uh, there's a great documentary about that. Um, I don't recall the name of it right offhand, but yeah. it's a really fun little documentary about Bill Murray stories. Uh, so Dan Aykroyd wanted Ivan Reitman because I, Ivan Reitman was, at the time, the premier comedy director. Sure, Stripes. Stripes and Animal, Animal House, House yeah. and, and, uh, and many others. Uh, the original treatment was way more serious. It was set in the future with many, many intergalactic ghost-busting groups, and it was intended to be scary. Like Ghost-smashing groups? Yes, ghost-smashing groups. Sorry. <laughs> but there was, like, time travel oh, and yeah. different planets and, like, aliens and, like, all this stuff. Oh, Danny wanted to cram all of his little favorites in yeah, there. He was, yeah, he was know, trying really hard. All in the kitchen sink. So Ivan Reitman agreed because he liked the idea he read the, the mm-hmm. treatment that he had did. They went to Arts Delicatessen, which is just a few minutes away from Gen X Files headquarters. Is it still open? Yes. Or did it die? Oh, no, it's still open. Yes. And uh, they sat down, and Ivan Reitman immediately told Dan Aykroyd there was no way in hell he could ever make this it movie. It cost like $200 million. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to be the most expensive movie ever made, right. and he was like, there's no way. Yeah, nobody, like, people are spending five, $600 million on movies today, but nobody yeah. was back spending then, $100 new, million dollars was new, insane. $50 new. million dollars was insane. That was a lot back then. Uh, so, of course, Dan Aykroyd was like, well, I want to get the movie made. What can I do? So they agreed to rewrite the script. Uh, they kind of hashed out some things um, and and got Harold Ramis involved, yeah. uh, who was a writer and had been, had done stuff up in Toronto. with was the, in Stripes, yeah. Stuff. Yeah, and knew Reitman well. And Murray. Uh, Reitman took... The new pitch idea they decided it was more real. Mm-hmm. It was a little more down to earth. It wasn't in space. <laughs> like it was three guys. Honestly, dude, I, 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 I want to see, see Ghost Smashers. I, I, I want to see Ghost Smashers. I, this is why the real Ghostbusters the cartoon is always a little disappointing to me because <laughs> I wanted it to be bigger. Like, it, yeah, it's about those guys, but make it about like this weird intergalactic yeah. group that comes down and smashes ghosts. Ghost Smashers. Yeah. <laughs> so Reitman took the new pitch to Columbia Pictures in March of 1983. And they they liked it. They were like, okay, great. What's the budget? And Ivan Reitman said, twenty five to thirty million dollars. <laughs> yeah. We just like tripled one of his he other admitted budgets. Admitted right? later that he had no idea. He just <laughs> tripled the Stripes budget yeah. because he thought that should be enough. Why not? Yeah. And that is how Hollywood works. <laughs> That's how Hollywood worked. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was much more of a community back then. It wasn't. Yeah. This was like the transition period between like super agents taking over and you know. The whole synergy and it, it, the yeah. awfulization of Hollywood began in the eighties. The yes, yes, the the remakes, the retreads, the remarketization of and the awful, uh, awful sequels, the cash grabs. You know, so it was many cash grab sequels in the eighties. No, so yeah, I mean, Ghostbusters two wasn't that great. No, no, though the, even even Indiana Jones Double of Doom wasn't that great. Gremlins two, awesome. Gremlins two is awesome. I still really like Ghostbusters two. I mean, I, that's me. It's uh, fine. I mean, it's fine as a movie, but it's not great as a Ghostbusters movie. Until the last ten minutes, <laughs> you lifted me higher. Oh, you got to make that make that slime dance. Yeah. So Columbia Pictures said, "Fine, we're in." With one, one stipulation. <laughs> That they wanted the movie to be released in June of 1984. Good lord. So, of course, Ivan Reitman, who is a smart, savvy businessman, said, yeah, we'll do that. Jeez. <laughs> this is, look, man, this is before 
digital effects. You know, you it had was, to paint was, everything. You had to yeah. make everything. You had to make practical effects. You had to so build. Many. There's there's some optical effects in the movie, but most of them are practical. And, and some of, I mean, like you know, you can see the dirt around the edges, and you know, in the scene with the gate, the Gozar's gate. Yeah, you know. I, th- my my least favorite part is is when the dog attacks uh, uh, the uh, Tully. Mm-hmm. It, like it's just not quite right yeah. like it just looks off and yeah. and and it's and it's because they were literally doing it in 13 months yep. like it's insane and not even just that they were redoing it they had to literally rewrite the entire script before they could shoot anything <laughs> because they just came up with a new idea wow uh so they actually went to martha's vineyard the three of them reitman ramus and Aykroyd, went took their entire families yeah. to martha's vineyard a house that dan Aykroyd owned owned and uh smoked a ton Yes. Of weed. Yes. Like, and, uh, a literal ton. They brought in a truck they, with a ton they of weed. They hid in the basement and locked themselves up for two weeks and managed to get an entire new draft done. Yeah. Hot uh, boxing that weed, baby. <laughs> By August, they had a mostly final draft. They were obviously leaving leaving uh, space open for the actors to develop things. Sure. Um, when they did casting. Uh, and they actually started shooting in October of 1983. Now, just to go back for a second, do sure. you know why they... Why Eddie Murphy dropped out or why they... He declined. Oh, he really? He just declined. Yeah. Okay. He decided he didn't want to do it. Um, and and that's why... I, they, they claim that... Some people claim that the Winstons... He was supposed to play Winston Zedmore, but... That, no, I don't... That is, yeah, there was, there's people that say that, and, and it's not true. No, no, like, not Ramis himself has said that was not true. No. And Reitman has said that. But They uh, were different, completely different characters. Yeah, you yeah. know, it was a completely different script when it was written for, yeah. for Belushi and... And, and Murphy. And Murphy, yeah. Uh, yeah, in, in that regard, um, they, in casting, when they finally got to casting, uh, they were trying to get Bill Murray. They could not get a definite answer. Uh, Columbia Pictures. <laughs> so mad, man. To make sure that Bill Murray was in the movie, mm-hmm. Columbia Pictures funded a completely different movie for oh, him. Oh, his passion project. To try to guilt him and to make sure that he could, he would do Ghostbusters. The Razor's Edge. Razor's Edge, which unfortunately was a huge box office bomb. Well, it's a shame, and yeah. because here's the thing, uh, he's a really good actor, and he's Miller's a great, great yeah. dramatic yeah. actor. But yeah. people were not ready no. for him no. to play that role. They weren't ready when he did Where the Buffalo Roam when he was playing uh, Gonzo journalist uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which you know was a great. It was, it's an interesting it's a, movie. Yeah. It's really funny, um, and he does a great job. He drove all of his uh, SNL castmates crazy because he was basically Hunter S. Thompson. He just, <laughs> you know, during that period, and it was maddening from, yeah, from what I, I can, Yeah. But it's just, it's unfortunate because Razor's Edge was a very flawed movie. Yeah. But a lot of us, like, I was a kid, I, wa- I watched it because it was a, 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 a Bill Murray movie. Bill Murray movie yeah. And it was not a Bill Murray movie. So that's, you know, people were just right. like, nah, right. sorry, I'm out. Yeah. Other choices for Spengler, uh, because Ramis wasn't committing to it, uh, he was like, hey, we can find somebody else. Um, and he didn't mind working, uh, like he had writing and, and doing all that stuff, helping produce. But mm-hmm. uh, they had options of uh, Christopher Walken, John <sighs> Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, Jeff Goldblum. These are all actors they reached out to to try to play Spengler. Oh, my God. Christopher Walken would have been awesome. It would have been weird. I mean, I mean, he would have been awesome. He's so funny. I mean, 
It, you, it just would have been weird because I'm so used to Harold Ramis doing it. But, like, it, it's like talking about, like, John Candy playing Louis Tolkien. Sure. Like, it's just weird. But I could but see Walken, it. Like, I could see amazing. Walken playing yeah. it. Uh, John Lithgow, you know, probably from Buckaroo Bonsai fame, you yeah. know, got yeah. that. Because he was a big com- comedic actor, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, who was the other guy? Christopher Lloyd. Mm. Uh, he would have been fine. He would have been fine, but it would just been Doc Brown again. It would have been not, yeah, yeah. And Jeff Goldblum would have uh, been fascinating. Mm, yes. Ooh. Mm. But, but <sighs> Ramis ended up playing it because he saw a... <laughs> well, don't forget John Candy. No, John Candy was playing Tool. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you just said Harold Ramis, sorry. Yeah. Oh, Harold Ramis. Played Egon Spengler. All right, we'll cut that out. Lay off the weed, Jim. <laughs> I'm not even stoned. <laughs> you lay off the weed. <laughs> I'm not stoned either, Jim. <laughs> Definitely cutting that out. Yes. My mom listens. Yeah. Uh, Julia Roberts was actually supposed to play the part of Dana originally. I know. They asked her to do it, and uh, they ended up not. They were afraid. The, the main reason is that the, Reitman really wanted Sigourney Weaver, yeah. but Columbia was hesitant sure. because she played serious parts. Yeah. Gorillas in the Mist, baby. Comedy. Yeah. And that was way long after that. But but yes. Alien. Alien and uh, the year living dangerously. Mm-hmm. Like it was a very serious part she played. During her audition, she said, no, I want to audition. She auditioned. She came in. She got down on all fours, started howling like a dog. Yeah. And they were like, all right, you're in. You're good. And guess what? It was her idea yes. to turn into the doll. Yes, it, which know? actually solved. They were having issues yeah. solving the third act and how yeah. to resolve it. And she was like, yeah, why don't you just have us turn into dogs? So awesome. What a great collaborative yeah. spirit. You know, <sighs> It just seemed like they had so much fun on that movie. Sigourney Weaver is absolutely brilliant. One of my favorite actors of oh, all time. Oh, me too. And I, just stunning. Stunning in that gorgeous. movie. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And, I, you know, her, like, she was perfect for that role because to counter, you know, the bumbling, you know, goofy uh, Vinkman, <laughs> oh, you yeah, needed Vinkman, a strong yeah. woman who, oh, you know, yeah. isn't going to put up with his, his shenanigans. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Orig- in the original script, she was supposed to be a model, and she's the one that suggested her being a musician instead. Yeah. Because Which, she, she was like, no matter what happens, you know she has a soul sure. because she plays the violin. Now, why did she go from being a violin player to restoring paintings in Ghostbusters 2? Ghostbusters 2 is in, in an alternate universe? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't seems make weird. Sense. I agree. I agree. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, John Candy was originally supposed to play Tully. Yes. Uh, but he passed on it because he didn't get the character. Nah, he and, wanted to play him as a German dude with yeah. a lot of German shepherds. Yeah. Uh, but they so they so Reitman called up Rick Moranis uh, from his old Second City days. And, yeah. Who also worked with Candy a lot. Uh, yeah. In Second yeah. City. And uh, Second he City TV sent him a script, and within an hour of receiving the script. Rick Moranis called Ivan Reitman and said, hell yes, I'm in. Oh, oh yeah. Do this. This is going to be fun. And he made that part his own. It is yeah, iconic. He, yeah. It's de- one of the best characters in the movie. He developed almost the entire character. Um, the fact he's an accountant, like the party scene, all that stuff was all... You had us. Why did you make a date for tonight? <laughs> yeah, he's such a dork. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Oh, who brought the dog? Uh, perhaps, God. perhaps my favorite not cast part was that originally for the role of Gozer was supposed to be Paul Rubens. Yes, Pee Wee. Paul Rubens was supposed to play the part of Gozer. I never. That's the one thing about the movie that I really, really dislike is that Gozer looks so much like Sigourney Weaver in it, and and it and it always bothered me as a kid. Yeah, I well, was like, yeah. eh. they went for this weird androgynous, yeah. like you know, because uh, they couldn't get David Paul Bowie, yeah. kind of Grace Jones. Yeah. 
I think it's some uh, sort of Polish model or something. Yeah, they, uh, Yugoslavian Yugoslavian model. model. Uh, who they end up dubbing over because her accent was so thick. And guess understand. who was Goza, the Gozerian? It was uh, Ivan Reitman. No, he didn't play Goza. He played Zool. Zool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, Gozar was actually somebody else, but I don't remember. Wait, who was Go- Gozar was the, 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 the gatekeeper the main, in Gozar, right? Main. No? Zool was the, the dog, the gatekeeper. Gozar was the, the big god. Yes, because there is no Dana. There Only was Zool. Zool. And, then, and then there was the, the Tully character dog. I just watched name. this like two days ago. Had and a I'm name, an and I don't remember. It was like Walter or something. <laughs> something yeah. really obvious. It was I was the like, gatekeeper oh, and the key master. Yeah. And they... Did it. <laughs> but Ivan Reitman did the voice of Zool because they were shooting it in 13 months. You know what kind of bummed me out as a kid? Because I, you know, I was like a, you know, a, a pubescent child with my crushes and sadness. Mm-hmm. Was that Tully, he sure loved Dana. He had such a crush on her. He did. And he did end up getting together with her. But not as himself. That's true. When he was the key master. That's so true. he didn't get to enjoy his... His he greatest did, dream. would not remember it at all because no. he was... Uh, Somebody helped that little guy. Big stone dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that they're breaking her out and then just totally forgetting about him. Hey, who turned hey, out the lights? Hey, what's going on here, guys? Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, man. <laughs> I'd like to take a sample of your brain. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're just going to quote uh, the movie for the last. Yeah, we're just going to. This is the last twenty minutes. It's just us quoting the movie. Do you want to hit a promo and then? Uh, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, we're going to we're going to go out to a promo and then we're going to come back with an interview ooh. with a very good special friend of ours. Uh, a special friend who is yeah that made it sound <laughs> that very did weird. make it sound weird. Uh, a special guest who is a good friend of ours. He's a good friend of ours. Yes. Uh, he's a, a super fan, so I'm very excited to talk to him. A brilliant musician. Uh, when we get back. Our very, very, very special guest today is Matthew Jordan, a musician who has a song on uh, Netflix's Kissing Booth 2, uh, the co- uh, cover of Good Vibrations. Yeah. And uh, he's toured with the Beach Boys before the pandemic. Uh, he had a really fun, funny song, Socially Distanced Christmas, last year. Uh, yes, he uh, he's Christmas toured song. with Rooney. Uh, he's just an amazing guy, a really good friend, and a super talent. Matthew Jordan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm I'm excited to be here and talk about my my favorite childhood thing. <laughs> you are a super fan, yeah. So, Matt, I, when was your first exposure to the Ghostbusters? So, I was actually I actually asked my dad because Ghostbusters came out the year I was born. So, it's not like my parents took me as an infant to go see Ghostbusters. I wouldn't have <laughs> a scarred baby crying in the theater. But by the time I was like maybe I think my fifth birthday party, I have pictures of me wearing a Ghostbusters oh, costume wow. that a friend of my parents made me. So like I had <laughs> the, the, the jumpsuit on and like the whole, the whole nine yards. I know, I think my parents took me to see the sequel, like in a drive-in, which was 89. Oh. And I would have probably been about five or six years old mm-hmm. then. So I, I think I must've seen the original movie. I must've been like four years old because I was so into it. Um, and I was also really into the cartoon when I was that age. Yeah. I love my Saturday morning cartoons. Oh yeah. And, um, and uh, I can't remember if, like, I was exposed more to the cartoon than the original movie first or not because I was so young. Right. But I just, like, <laughs> I had so many toys. I had I had all the stuff. I had, like, the firehouse. I had the oh, proton wow. packs and the ghost traps. <laughs> I had all the action figures. There were so many cool action figures from the cartoon. I had all these weird, like, um, there was this series of, 
ghosts that look like people but are kind of like transformers and turned I into demons and yeah. ghosts. Yep. And so there was like this creepy old lady who looked like an old lady, and then you pulled on her feet, and it just like a huge <laughs> demon mouth came out. <laughs> and like, so I had a bunch of these weird, like you know, strange monsters, and I had all the Ghostbuster figures and Slimer and Stay Puffed. I was just like a massive fan of this as a child. It was just like my favorite favorite thing and i'm showing kind of like a, a precursor to i suppose what i turned into later in my life egon was always my favorite so. <laughs> i'm more i'm there with you man i identified most with egon yeah i'm a slacker i was more of a <laughs> you were totally bill murray yeah. yes you were yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i could see that uh it makes sense that you would probably you're probably exposed to the cartoon a lot because i mean it was it ran for a really long time oh yeah it really did and it was so well written most of the time yeah. it was like yeah and i was reading um my my book that i have has a whole section on like the extended ghostbusters universe mm-hmm. and they talk about the cartoon and especially the early days of the cartoon yeah because there were so many iterations yeah um yeah but that cartoon just like they they said like they made so many episodes you know like 150 or something yeah, yeah right. very large amount of episodes and they were trying to make what i read was they really wanted every episode to be like what a sequel to the ghostbusters movie could have been and this was before right. ghostbusters 2 for the oh, most wow. part yeah um, the yeah. cartoon i think ran from like you know 85 to 80 to, to 90 maybe it was like it on was, for a few uh, years and, and it came a few years before yeah, the sequel it was for sure. 80, 86 to like 91 or 92 or something like that mm-hmm. um yeah. i remember this is what i used to hear because that cartoon came out when i was in college and i used to hear that there were some guys that would wake up on saturday morning and <laughs> they'd smoke their jazz cigarettes and <laughs> eat a bunch of cereal and really really enjoy ghostbusters there's so much good animation back then there was ghostbusters there was the uh Ed Grimley's show. Yeah. There was like Pinky and the Brain. It was like a really great time for there animation. Pinky and the Brain was a little later, but Ninja Turtles was around yeah. the same oh, yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Big Ninja Turtles fan. That should oh, be a yeah. future topic for you guys. G.I. Um, I, I was a huge G.I. Joe. Yeah. Well, you I know, was... speaking of Pinky and the Brain, Egon from the yeah. Ghostbusters cartoon was the brain. Yeah. 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 It's weird. They had, they had, so, the entire uh, voice cast was fantastic. Oh, yeah. 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 Considering uh, Lorenzo Music playing Venkman the first yes. couple seasons, who did the voice of of Garfield. Oh, yeah. And Bill Murray later did Garfield. Yes. So how about that? <laughs> yeah. Synergy, baby. I watched the, I rewatched the pilot of the cartoon a couple days ago, and the animation is so clever. I mean, it's not, it's unlike anything that was seen before. It kind of had this, this weird kind of 60s vibe with like the, yeah. the, the crowd scenes and stuff. It was just really, sure. yeah. uh, it was imaginative. And again, the writing, like you said, was great. And the voice acting was impeccable. They all, they all, yeah. and, and having Arsenio and, Hall. Yeah. Arsenio yeah. Hall was Winston. And then Frank Welker was Ray and Slimer. And oh, Frank yeah. was the oh, original yeah. Fred from Scooby-Doo and, and then became Scooby-Doo later. So Optimus Prime. Like an all-star voice yeah. Yeah. Been on The Simpsons. But he's a legend. Frank Welker yeah. has the most credits ever on IMDb. Wow. Yeah. I well, mean, literally, he's been in almost 900 different pieces of media. Uh, the man has worked a lot in 60 years. <laughs> yes, he has. <laughs> I mean, personally, I, so. I like the fact that eventually uh, Venkman was played by Dave Coulier. Cut it yes, out. Right. <laughs> what I actually just read about that was that um, so Maurice LaMarche, who was Egon and, and the brain later on, he kind of came in like not knowing that they wanted everyone to do their own voices for the characters. And he basically oh. did a Harold Ramis impression. Oh, <laughs> and they were like, we like that. Do that. And then <laughs> uh, apparently later on, based on what I just read, Bill Murray heard Lorenzo Music, who, who 
sounds right. enough like Bill Murray to me. But Bill Murray was like, well, why does Egon's guy sound exactly like him and my guy doesn't? And so they brought in Dave Courier. <laughs> oh, no. Well, yeah. brings out music. Because when you think Bill Murray, you think Dave Courier. <laughs> exactly. Two peas in a pod. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, hey, Matt, did you ever see the, the, what was it called? The Extreme Ghostbusters? The sequel, yeah. The cartoon? You know, I think when the Extreme, I think what was that? 96, 97. 97. That came out in 97. I would, I would have been like 13 or 14. Thinking like about girls. Know, I, I, was, <laughs> I was at an age where like I still like loved Ghostbusters, but I don't think that I really, I, I'm sure I saw a couple episodes of Extreme Ghostbusters, but again, it was like, you know, it was at that point in time where I was like starting to care about girls and, oh, you yeah. know, it was like probably was just not as like, it is, you know, I mean, if they had released another movie, I would have totally right, like been right. all in on that. But, but at that point in time, I think I was getting off of Saturday morning cartoons a little bit. How and, dare you? Uh, <laughs> I, I know that they did extreme ghostbusters and, and I remember it. I just don't think I saw too much of it. I tried to watch the pilot a couple of days ago and I got about eight minutes in. Before I was just like, this is the hottest piece of garbage I've seen. <laughs> There's only one Ghostbuster in it, Egon, who's like teaching a, right. a, a class. Then only four kids show up. This, you know, jerk with a goatee and a kid in a wheelchair. And then this kind of like 90s version of a golf girl. And within the first. Right. Few, yes, yeah. That, right. That, like golf girl. Right. Yes. <laughs> and then like in the, in the first few seconds, like the wheelchair kid makes fun of the, the bearded kid. And he's like, oh, you put your foot in your mouth. And then the bearded kid was like, at least I have feet to put in my mouth to the wheelchair kid. That's awful. (laughs) And I was like, I'm out. Wow, that's dark. But it just it had none of the fun. It didn't have any of the characters. Slimer was in it. But it was just like, it just seemed like a a, a blatant. Egon just had a ponytail instead of that really awesome (laughs) Joe curl with like the the, the rat tail in back. I thought Egon's hair in the cartoon was awesome when I was a kid, by the way. (laughs) Well, it was. But in this one, man, it was just, I think it was like a, a, like, they got a committee together and it's like, well, let's, let's like put this together in, you know, uh, what do you call it? Research groups. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll, you know, it was just garbage. We'll focus. You did a good job staying away from that one, man. I didn't, I literally up until I started researching for Ghostbusters. I love Ghostbusters. I love the original movie. I had no idea extreme Ghostbusters existed. I don't <laughs> yeah. think I did either. I was. I had forgotten about movie. it until like I was just thumbing through the section about the cartoon in the book, and I get to the extreme Ghostbusters page. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Seems like such a bad idea. Yeah, I feel. Kind I like of that we covered. I love that we've covered extreme Ghostbusters <laughs> and not the movie. Yet, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> so what was it about the movie that just stuck with you? I mean, man, just like. So first and foremost. I, I, my wife, I lament this to my wife all the time, but like the effects back then were so visceral. Yeah. Like in those sorts of movies, you know, if you watch those, those early to mid, even late eighties movies where they had to do the effects for real compared to like the CGI now. Oh yeah. It's just like, you you can touch it. Like if you watch little shop of horrors, if you actually want to touch Audrey too, just like the slime and just, and so yeah. ghostbusters, you know, those textures, you know, the way that they did, the effects and like even just the proton pack lasers just was so much cooler than like they would do it now with CGI where it's oh, all sure. smooth. Like, and, and, and the way that the ghost effects just, I mean, it, it was what a ghost you, it's what you thought a ghost would look like if like, in terms of just like the kind of spectral aspect oh, yeah. of like it being sort of transparent and slimy. And like, it was just like, it made you really feel like you knew what ghosts looked like. Not that every ghost looked like Slimer, but just like, that's what a ghost form would would kind of be and i i think it was a combination of that it was a combination of 
the amazing chemistry of all of the leads who are all oh, just yeah. so fantastic and so charming. Um, not to mention when you start to throw in Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis like <laughs> was so, so great in, in everything that he touches. But back then, just like he, oh, he so brought funny. the perfect role, and the perfect the, thing for that character. And it was good. They wanted it to be John Candy. originally. Yeah. yeah. And most of his dialogue was improvised, like all those speeches, you know, right. Like, oh, you know, this is, uh, you yeah. know, we got so-and-so and so-and-so and he's in receivership and she, yeah, him you know. being an accountant. Yeah, no, his, his, his whole thing yeah. about, yeah, it was his idea and it was his idea to like have the party that he invited clients to so he could expense it. Like yeah. he had so many good ideas. And I think John Candy, when he, when he was going to do the part, I read that he had ideas that were just really ridiculous. Like yeah, he, he wanted, wanted the character to be yeah. like super German, yeah. with like Rottweilers. With a ton of something. German shepherds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wanted yeah. his character. He, he flat out admitted that he just didn't get the character. Like he was like, I just don't understand. And I didn't. It didn't. I mean, unless it was just completely non-written on the page. Probably. I mean, I, it looks like a completely rounded, well-developed character because of what Rick Moranis did yeah, with it. Yeah. So 100%. you know, it's like a lot of times when you read a script. You know, there's no indication of what that, you know, character right, would be because right. it's mostly the actor that brought just, it to yeah, it. That's true. That's true. Unless and, it's a and weird script. just re- rewatched yeah. the movies, it's impossible for me to imagine the character of Lewis Telly is like any oh. anyone but this like yeah. nebbish little dude. Oh, yeah. You know, he keeps fucking locking himself out of his apartment <laughs> and just so like being great. a total idiot. <laughs> yeah. The, the fact that he knows exactly when Sigourney Weaver's walking by, he's such a little weird creep. The shot of him right before the dog takes him in the restaurant, everybody stops for like one second <laughs> while he screams, and then they just go back to eating is one yes. of my favorite shots in that movie. Yeah. And let me mention that um, I proposed to my wife clichedly on a carriage ride in Central Park and then took her to dinner at Tavern on the Green because I hadn't been there and I wanted to see it because of Ghostbusters. Nice. I didn't tell her that part, but I made sure to stop in that room where everyone (laughs) looks at Rick Moranis as he gets eaten. Pound on the door. (laughs) Pound on the window. Help me. (laughs) It's like my one and only time I've been to or eaten at Tavern on the Green and I I just like have to go here. Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's it's like a pilgrimage. So uh, as a musician... Um, what did you think about the uh, the Ghostbusters theme? Well, first of all, I mean, as a kid, the Ghostbusters theme was everything to me. I loved it, and 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 I mean, it's just it's so infectious. I mean, when I did my cover a, a number of years back, I, I just like I had so much fun just like playing around with with you know all the creepy sounds and um, you know. It's interesting because that theme is it's such an integral part of like the the entire um, kind of the history, like looking back on it, you think about the movie and you hear the song. You oh, can't yeah. really think about the movie without hearing the song in your head. So, you know, um, it, it was just it was so important. And I, I know you wanted to touch on um, the controversy involving that theme. Adam. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, which worked out in the end pretty well for Mr. Parker, Jr., yeah, well, yeah. you know, it, it's interesting because I hadn't heard that Huey Lewis song in a very long time. And I listened to it because you mentioned you wanted to touch mm-hmm, on it. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is the Ghostbusters theme. It literally sounds exactly oh, yeah. like yeah. You, the, you removed the, the lyrics, entire. Yeah. It's yeah. really obvious. Um, yeah. But and I, I think I read that they had approached Huey Lewis about doing the theme mm-hmm. and he said no. But I think they had some of that song in there sort of in a placeholder capacity. So yes. it's not like, yeah. you know, it's not like Ray Parker Jr. just like kind of liked that song and he kind of like subconsciously took some stuff from it. Like it was already <laughs> partially in there. It was literally um, in the screener they gave him. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and yeah, yeah, like they admitted flat out that it was, it was used as temporary music. 
and and that was it. But like like Jim said, yeah. Ray Parker he was messed up. Ray Parker had his his rue. He rued his day. No, that's not the word I'm he looking for. He got. Uh, Huey Lewis got his comeuppance. Huey yeah, Lewis was, was his day hoist by his own petard. Yes, he was hoist. By I feel like if that lawsuit had gone through today, you know, there's been lawsuits like with Blurred Lines with Robin Thicke and Marvin Gaye's estate, yeah. and there's yeah. been a lawsuit with Stay with Me with uh, Sam Smith's song and Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. And those lawsuits, and I was double checking this, they ended up with whoever sued getting a co-write credit. Like Tom Petty is listed as a writer on Stay with Me now, oh, wow. and oh, wow. Marvin Gaye is listed as a writer on Blurred Lines. Huey Lewis should have been listed as a writer on the song because, like, oh, yeah. if you're going to go there, technically, um, in, in the past, it's been like you can, you know, it's melody and lyrics that are copyrightable. And just like a feel is is too intangible to copyright. Yeah. I feel like this goes beyond feel. Like, it is the same yeah. exact progression. It is yes. the same exact rhythm. It is the same song. It's with a different melody. And, 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 um, and, and Queen. Yeah. Right, but that was yeah. done. I mean, that was legit. Like yeah, he yeah. sampled that, you know. Um, that this is basically what what we would refer to in the music industry now as uh, Ray Parker Jr. took the Huey Lewis song and he top lined it. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, top lining is when you get a track and you write your own melody and lyric over it. So a lot of these producers, the David Guetta's and those types of people who release songs, they will have a whole track and then they send it to the singer and the singer top lines their their melody and lyric over it. And then they, they both co-wrote the song. Oh, and that's wow. how it works a lot now. Interesting. And so, yeah, essentially Ray Parker Jr. just top-lined the Huey Lewis track without getting permission. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> that's how it comes in. And Huey Lewis got his money until he opened his big mouth and and uh, broke his NDA. You know, the song I really like from Ghostbusters is the one you know, when uh, it's like, it did, it did magic, magic. You know oh, when magic, all that, yeah, yeah, magic. When all the stuff's coming out, that yeah. song just yeah, seemed yeah, yeah, very yeah. ahead of its time for me. Do you know who that? Who's uh, that by? No, you know I looked that up yesterday and I didn't write it down. Probably uh, one is that the one where all the ghosts are escaping? Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. 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 They were actually the producers. Well, I shouldn't say the producers. Columbia, who is who is a bankrolling the movie, did not want to use popular music at all in the movie, and and Ivan Reitman convinced them to do it. He was like, we have to. You're literally asking us to make a, mo- a movie in 13 months. Like, we're going to use pre-recorded music. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It was an insane schedule. And the fact that they got something so magical, you know, yeah. maybe sometimes. Yeah, they had no time. Yeah. They had no time at all. And sometimes I think with really good artists, that could be a, a benefit because it's yeah. just like you got to kind of push through. You can't second guess yourself. Yeah. You just got to make it happen. And, and they rolled the dice and they won. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it almost like doesn't give you a chance to second guess anything. Yeah. It's just like, okay, no, you just got to no. go with it. Yeah, yeah. Those Ivan Reitman actually said that he, when he was working on it, uh, because of A, the tight schedule, and B, because of all the special effects, it was not the way he usually shot. He liked to shoot a bunch of stuff and then cut stuff, yeah. but with you know having to do special effects months in advance, that he was like, my hands are tied. Yeah. Like, we have to use this Like at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, but I mean, granted, now that's everybody all the time. Right. But, well, I mean, now they start a lot of movies with no script, no nothing. Yeah, it's <laughs> just true. like, well, we got some oh, people yeah. and a camera. We'll, we'll get to the end eventually. We'll figure it out. <laughs> and they don't. Like Die Hard. They totally did with Die Hard. They didn't have an ending for Die Hard. Well, search, that yeah. one worked out, too. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of movies <laughs> that, that did didn't. not. Yeah. They did not. That is correct. Can we touch on the fact that um, Winston got totally screwed yes. in the movie because he was supposed to be in yes. on – I read he was supposed yes. to enter on page eight. 
of the script. Yeah. yeah. And, and because and, of the rewrites, they gave all his lines to Bill Murray and brought him in like three quarters of the way through. And yeah. they didn't tell Ernie Hudson that until he started shooting. No, so not he, until he saw yeah. the script, yeah. like right before yeah. shooting. So he, he came like, in. Literally the, the day plan. before was given a new script and he was like, oh, hey, look at that. I'm not in the movie anymore. Uh, I can relax. I don't have a lot of lines. Yeah, I'll be cramps. Right. It's funny because the book I have, even the storyboarding for the scene in the um, what is the hotel called where they uh, bust Slimer? Uh, Well, it's not in the movie. It's called something else. It was shot at the Biltmore. But it was the Williamton or something. Even in the storyboard for that, Winston is there. (laughs) Busting Slimer with them. There's like sketches of stuff happening to Winston. It's like. Yeah, he's Man. he was pretty bitter about it. I could be honest. The stuff that I read, he was really bitter. I understand that, yeah. but I also understand, you know, you got to you know, sometimes you got to kill your babies, you know, sometimes you yeah. got to cut stuff and what works works. And honestly, you know, the main trio, Winston's great, and I love Winston, but the three of them you know, that chemistry has been around for years and years and years and years. You know, those guys yeah, have worked yeah. together. Sure. Uh, Second City, you yeah, know, yeah, and, and SNL, later so. SNL. Yeah. yeah, so they yeah. just took, you know, that natural banter and that just natural uh, chemistry and you know I, anybody would have probably done the same thing yeah, and there's yeah. always going to be feelings hurt but it's you know it is a shame you, you got to give somebody a heads up you know yeah yeah it's like uh, Eric Stoltz getting fired from Back to the Future <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you got to communicate <clears throat> that's how it works so give me some I read my- that Winston was actually originally an Air Force vet an expert in small arms and electronic countermeasures and a black belt in karate in the first wow time. Wow, I did not know no, that. He really got screwed. That sucks yeah. so no, bad he was for none him. of those things. <laughs> he was essentially like a, a janitor or yeah, something. Just like had. a religious guy. He was like, yeah, he was like a subway worker or yeah, something that yeah. just like. And then he comes in and he's just like, "Well, I just need a paycheck. I'll do whatever you want." But that's <laughs> yeah. your character development. Yeah, and you know, and I, I don't want to, you know, it kind of bugged me too in the Ghostbusters, the the newest one, that they did kind of the same thing with Leslie Jones. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. why couldn't she be a scientist? Mm. Why was she, you know, yeah, it was she was just like an in MTA the subway worker or whatever. You know? yeah, yeah, not that there's anything wrong. You know what I mean? It just seemed it just was a little un. It just it put a, a little sour taste a little on the nose. Let's right. let's learn from the history, Ghostbusters people. Yeah, you're already going all the direction of making them all female. <laughs> why not make them more interesting? So, Matt, do you have any closing uh, advice or or? Uh, reflection upon Ghostbusters or anything you want to tell? Our... I have any closing advice <laughs> yes, for our listeners. <laughs> well, there's something strange in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, who do you call? How do you fight Ghostbusters? I mean, honestly, I think that Ghostbusters is, you know, it's become one of those franchises that, you know, it's going to live forever. And I, I think that there are very few things that, that anyone could do with it that would, that would, completely tarnish it i mean obviously the all-female reboot wasn't great but i still think that people haven't held that against the original franchise i'm hoping that it also was a movie they're making that's coming out soon with uh paul red and everyone yeah i have high hopes i don't know um it's going to be interesting um actually another interesting thing to touch on really quick was that there was a video game uh, that came out a few years back called ghostbusters the video game oh yeah i just i just Um, downloaded that yeah, I, I actually did as well. I, mean, <laughs> I, I played the terrible Wii version oh, because no. I only had a Wii. Oh, and no. back in the day, they released it on PS3 and Wii, and I wanted to play it because I wanted to know what this story was because right, the story right, was yeah. to be the third movie. The third movie, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And, but the Wii version, the graphics were, like, terrible. And the oh, PS3 no. was, like, realistic <laughs> with, like, the real voice actors. And I, I, I think I might have known this, but I might not have. I don't remember because either way – I think what actually happened is I played this game and I'm like, this is kind of all right. And then I look it up and 
Oh, that's what happened. I looked at it up afterward, and I'm like, wait a second. The other version has, like, the real voices and the real characters look just like, like, what What did I just play? Um, so I just downloaded the remastered version. Yeah, yeah that's what we got. Real, yeah. Real wait, stuff. the Wii version didn't have the the voices? I don't know if it had that much because the Wii didn't have that capability, and oh. it also just looked like a cartoon. Oh, it was like basically yeah. playing yeah. A, a version of the, the real Ghostbusters cartoon versus <laughs> something that looked like the movie. It's so far it's been kind of fun. I've been really enjoying it. Yeah, I've been really enjoying it. I I wish I yeah. Well, it was the actual script that they were going to to film as a third movie. So yeah, um, I'm excited to play it again and play the real version. Yeah, me too. Um, Well, I think the most fun about doing these shows and is getting back into these universes. You know, it's like, you know, it's been a while since I've been back into the into the Ghostbusters or you know realm. But watching the movie again, watching some of the cartoons, it's just so. Awesome. There hasn't been any sort of comedy, action, sci-fi, you know, scary thing ever right. like it. You know, I mean, the closest thing. Like was- Men in Black tried to do it. Yeah, the first Men in Black, they tried. Yeah, and yeah. and and you know, and it wasn't bad. But yeah, I think the thing about Ghostbusters that really makes it so iconic is just even beyond what they did with the movies and the cartoon they made. Just the concept is yeah. so high concept that. It feels like it's an infinite amount of possibilities you can do with that concept. Totally. Yeah. And an totally. infinite amount of stories you can tell. And they're doing that, it seems. Hopefully, yeah. yeah hopefully. All right, one last question for you, Matt. Do you own Tobin Spirit Guide? <laughs> I, I, uh, is that an actual published thing? It is. Thing that I can it actually is. 100 is. years ago. It was, uh, yeah. They have a Ghostbusters <laughs> version now, but yeah. I'm surprised. I thought you'd have one. <laughs> Well, like, you know, um, I'll have to put that on my wish list. Well, on my Amazon somebody's list. getting something Maybe for Christmas. Maybe we're going to send you one <laughs> for being such an awesome guest. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it's always great to talk to somebody who's so passionate about yeah. the subject we're talking about and loves it. And, you know, you're knowledgeable and we just can't thank you enough for being on. Oh, I'm happy to be here. When I saw kind of you guys were doing these different topics weekly. And I was like, if they ever do a Ghostbusters episode, yeah. I want to tell them I'm going to be on. Well, we definitely want to have you back um, when we have something else that you're interested in. Is there All anything right. that uh, you want to let anybody know that's coming up for you? Um, just hopefully being able to perform without getting coronavirus. Yeah. Hoping, hoping for that. <laughs> Yay. It's the small things. It's the yeah. small things. Um, I'm always doing stuff though. You can keep up with my stuff. If you go to MatthewJordan.com, all my Perfect. social media, Matthew Jordan music. So. Yeah. And you awesome. definitely should. Cause Matt is a super talent. Yeah. And, he's great. You he's know, great. you, you don't oh, tour with Thanks, the beach dude. boys and you don't do all the things that he did unless without, you got the chops. That would be an awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Thank you so much. Thanks man. for coming on, man. We will. Uh, hey, yeah, my pleasure. I had a great time. Oh man, what a dude! He is—he was the most prepared guest we've ever had. Oh yeah, his wife is a very lucky lady. Yeah, she, yeah, she is. <laughs> yeah, she is. Um, and a very talented actress in her own right. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She's awesome. She's a very good writer too. It's uh, she's she's a very talented family. Let's awesome. just say that. Yeah. they're you, so much better than us. You're gonna make amazing babies. I know, and, and we're just gonna, gonna sit great. here and. I'm going to get old and cry. Yeah, well, you're already old, so start crying. Yeah, well, I'm not going to cry all the time. Uh, so 1989, uh, Ghostbusters 2 came out. Uh, the Despite breaking box office records mm-hmm. and attracting an estimated 2 million more people to its opening than Ghostbusters, the sequel earned less than the original and received a less enthusiastic response. Yeah, because they were battling a painting. Yeah, it just didn't. It's really obvious that it wasn't quite what they wanted it to be. Uh, I think there's a lot more compromise in it. Well, they also did that thing that they did in all of these crappy sequels where they created uh, conflict. 
Yeah. You know, like they, they always like, oh, Sigourney Weaver and uh, uh, Bill Murray smooching yeah. at the end of the first one. Oh, they're going to get together. But no, we got to yeah. break yeah. them apart so we can get them back together again. You know, it's just like it's so tired. That yeah. kind of the tropes. It's just like that's what bugged me about it. It was a very paint by numbers sequel it had great yeah. actors it had great chemistry still but it, it had just, some good moments but like it just overall didn't river, capture the no. it didn't quite capture the what, what was so great and wonderful about and fresh about yes. the original movie well, because there was nothing like the original one no you know and it's like how it's there are certain movies where you really just shouldn't make a sequel to them because they're uh, they're perfect movies agreed. you know agreed. and they're perfect as they are and you know as much as i would love to see a thousand stories in the Ghostbusters universe, do it in the cartoons, do it something else. Yeah, Let yeah. them, you know, have their way because it's only going to be disappointing. Well, you know, I mean, or do what they're doing now, make TV shows and make sure, you know, keep it in the universe, yeah. but you know, you know, make it fresh and yes. new and, and stuff. Uh, Bill Murray actually, uh, he summed it up quite well. Uh, in 2009, he said, and I quote, we did a sequel and it was sort of rather unsatisfying for me because the first one to me was the real thing. And the sequel... They'd written a whole different movie than the one initially discussed, so there's never been an interest in third Ghostbusters because the second one was disappointing for me anyway. Yeah, I get it. I'm with him. Yeah. So Ghostbusters 3 was put on hold uh, despite the fact that the second one actually made money. It oh, made yeah. money. Despite, Aykroyd uh, had been trying to make Ghostbusters 3 for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. He'd been trying and trying and trying. And uh, so essentially in, in 2009, they end up releasing uh, a video game yep. that was an adaptation of the Ghostbusters 3 script. With the entire voice cast. With the entire voice cast, which is awesome. It has been remastered. It's yeah. being released. Just started uh, playing it. It's just fun to see what the third movie would have. This is yeah. basic. You know, if you want want to see what the the, the threequel would have been yeah where the story goes play yeah. the game play it on easy you'll you'll jump yeah, right through yeah it. just go right through the story it's fun 2014 unfortunately harold ramus passed away oh, very such sad. a talent yeah such i was a talent. I, I i i don't cry very often at celebrity deaths but that one just really gut punch man yeah well like, the the thing that got me was uh for so many years for whatever reason harold ramus and and uh, bill murray kind of were on the outs yeah and yeah. uh but before he died, Bill Murray came in and, and they, they, they mended they, fences. They mended fences, had a great time, and you know it's just like, from what I heard, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't there, but it's just uh, <laughs> I was you know, it just out goes in the to show. It's yeah. like, come on, you know, put it's, your differences aside. Yeah, you gotta you gotta let things go. Uh, so after that happened, Ivan Reitman decided to remove himself from the franchise. Uh, he he had decided that the creative control shared by himself, Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, and Bill Murray was holding the franchise back. Yeah. So they negotiated a deal with Columbia to sell the rights. Uh, it took him two weeks to convince Bill Murray to do it. And my guess is what finally convinced Bill Murray to do it. Because they were going to remake the Razor's Edge. <laughs> <laughs> Razor's Edge Part 2. Yes, Razor. Uh because I, I think the final thing was that Reitman said, and I quote, the creators would be enriched for the rest of our lives and for the rest of our children's lives. Mm. So enough money for four people and their entire families to be well off. I'm thinking a billy, probably a billion. It has to be a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was because it, it wasn't just getting the rights to the movies. It was getting the rights to the cartoons yep. again. And which, that the, was and, a huge and thing. And all the, yeah, the, the, the franchising. Fran- yeah, and the, and the merchandising. merchandising that's, yeah. yeah. So, uh, 2016, Columbia released the, the, the quote unquote kind of reboot, uh, kind of in the universe, uh, but not really. Unfortunately, it was a big box office bomb. Uh, which well, was... it, it, it wasn't a bad 
movie. It got bad press from the very beginning. It wasn't a great movie. No, it was no. You know, it was it, not. I expect more from you know the makers of Bridesmaids and you yeah. know uh, Kevin Paul, Fig, I, Paul, Paul Fig, Fig. Like yeah. he's he's amazing. I've actually met him before. He's one of the nicest guys. Oh ever. no, and it, look, but Bill Murray was funny in movies, it. It was but like, like it just it just didn't quite work. No, um, unfortunately, it didn't. And it, it's not because they were women, you no. proud boy jerks. You know, a lot of the the the. The backlash was from a bunch of misogynistic a-holes. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, it was just idiots just, that can't handle the fact that women might be strong. Women Ghostbusters! Oh. My head's gonna explode! You're ruining my childhood! Oh, uh, my tiny penis. Shut your face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it just didn't quite work. But they're doing another sequel, an yeah. actual sequel. Afterlife. With uh, uh, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd, and it's being directed by Jason Reitman. And that uh, son. What's that? Uh, Johan Wolfsbane? What's that kid uh, from? Wolf, uh, Wolfhard? No, Wolfhard. Finn, Finn, Wolfhard. Finn, Finn Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard. Finn, I like that we got there eventually. <laughs> that kid's got the greatest <laughs> Wolfgang name. Wolfgang Wolfbane. And, Finn uh, Wolfhard. But it's, it should be good. I mean, the, the, the trailers have looked good, so I'm yeah, excited it's to like see it. It's like the grandkids of uh, Harold Ramis' character, and I think, aren't Aykroyd and Murray in it? I think they're going to make cameos yeah. in it. I don't. I, they're not like main characters or anything. But, I, but as far as I know, I mean, I watched a video of Ivan Reitman and Bill Murray reacting to the little Stay Puffed. Oh yeah, clip that they yeah. with Paul Rudd and the little baby Stay Puffies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Bill Murray was laughing his ass off. It was really funny. He's like, "Oh, that's really clever. That's really I haven't seen that." And Reitman was like, "I haven't seen it either." And they both seem awesome. to think it was really funny. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, much better than him being like, "What? How dare they? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you?" Besmirched the name of Murray. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm really hoping that with the new Afterlife movie that that the franchise will take off again. Because yeah. I do, I want to see more adventures in that universe. I like, think they need a new animated show. I think they need I like agree. a computer generated animated show of the real Ghostbusters. I think they should call it the Super Extreme Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they'll all be doing parkour and uh, <laughs> squeezing lines into yeah. their eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm so extreme. Yeah, we're going to eat a bunch of ghost peppers. Extreme. God, that was so bad. I can't believe they actually made that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that extreme Ghostbusters yeah. is just an insult to humanity. It's bad. It's awful. It's really bad. Well, what else is coming out with the Ghostbusters besides that? Do we have? I mean, uh, not, it, you know, Lego has their, been making a lot yeah. of new Ghostbusters sets. You know, the, the the Ghostbusters are always going to be around. But I think I totally agree with you, Adam. That like Star Wars, I think Star Wars, uh, its future is in TV. Yeah, the TV yeah. series are much yeah. better than the films. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're going to make other movies, but I think Ghostbusters. I think TV. Let's start. Yeah. Let's bring I mean, it back. Even a live action Ghostbusters yeah. show they could do. They could easily do that. I mean, they could. Ghostbusters: The Next Generation. Yeah. Hey Hollywood. <laughs> hey, <laughs> knock on our door. Yeah, Columbia. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, and, and it's maybe what they're you know they're backdooring with with this afterlife thing. I mm-hmm. mean, but it's I I hope the movie does well. I, I mean, I'm hoping that I can actually go see it in the theater. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, that's the thing too. It's like. You know, within the last couple of years, the whole film business has been so precarious. Yeah, like, it's been super weird. You know, everything's going to TV and streaming you know, now. I'm yeah. not going to a movie theater until there's right. no masks. You know, yeah. I, I just yeah. don't want to sit in a no, it's, it's not space fun. with a mask on. And the it, longest I've had to wear a mask was about three hours, and that was on a plane ride. And I'm 100% mask. You know, I'm going to wear it, my mask by everywhere. By the end of it, I just wanted to claw my face off. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't want to put myself in positions where I'm going to have to, yeah. you know, it just doesn't seem fun. And I don't, they're... 
the it's okay to take your mask off and you're shoveling popcorn in your mouth <laughs> exemption is, you know, the coronavirus isn't going to listen to that and be like, oh, wait, he's eating. Pause. Time out. Yeah, yeah, well, anyway. that's the whole thing. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our Ghostbusters episode. If you haven't watched the movie in a long time, please go check it out. It's so much Who fun. Who are you going to call? Ghost Smashers. Ghost oh. Smashers. Ghostbusters. What's coming up next week, buddy? We'll be back next week with the one movie that beat out Ghostbusters in the box office. Beverly Hills Cop. Our very, 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 very special guest. Sorry. <laughs> <me do> that. <laughs> it's always great when great we start, start that Great way. start. Dude, it's, he's such uh, he, he, he loves We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Fantasy Island, already in progress.